Welcome everybody to Between the Lines, the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Eder, and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us deconstruct that week's parsha, exploring new insights and meaning in the Torah. And this week we are honored to welcome Rabbi Herzl Hefter, who is the founder and the Rosh Bet Midrash of Harel, in memory of Belder Kaufman Lindenbaum in Jerusalem. It's a Beit Midrash for advanced rabbinic studies for both men and women. Rabbi Hefter is a graduate of Yeshiva University, where he learned under the tutelage of Rabbi Yosef Dov Soloveitchik, and he received his smicha from Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein at Yeshivat HaEtzion, where he studied for a decade. He has written numerous articles related particularly to modernity and Hasidic thought. It is truly wonderful that you're with us today, and we look forward to exploring the Parsha with you. Thank you very much, Simon. I'm really very happy to be a guest on your podcast. So Parsha Tetzaveh deals with the garments of the priests. It seems to be a very esoteric topic the laws of the tabernacle and the garments of the priests, the Torah devotes many parshiot to this. So what I would like to talk about first is the idea of garments, what we explore about clothing, how that may work itself through when we read in particular some of the details of the priestly garments. When we talk about garments, levushim, The idea of garments occupies a very central role in Kabbalistic and Hasidic thought. But the truth is, garments figure very prominently from the very beginning of the Torah, where God fashions the first garments for Adam and Chava after their ejection from the Garden of Eden. So God makes kotanot or, he makes leather garments, leather coats for them. And the or is with an ayin, leather. But the Midrash says that in the Sefer Torah, in the book written by Rabbi Meir, who was a scribe, in his book, it said or with an aleph, with the letter aleph, denoting light. So there's a play on words here, kotnot or, clothing of leather, or clothing of light. Now, of course, in our Sifrei Torah, in our holy Torah, it says it with an ayin, meaning leather. But what the Midrash is saying is that the phenomena of garments is paradoxical. Or with an ayin means that the garment is designed to conceal, to cover, to protect, to cover what is beneath it. But if I talk about kotnot or a garment of light, so then the function of the garment is no longer to cover, but to be an instrument in which to radiate outward, to project, to actually facilitate revelation rather than to conceal. So to bring this down a bit, let's talk about literal garments. If I don't get dressed in the morning, I can't leave my room. In order for me to 
reveal myself, I need to cover myself. If I refuse to cover myself, then I remain unrevealed. So garments both facilitate revelation as well as conceal. This is the paradox of garments. This paradox also applies, let's talk about the skin, the ore, but not the skin which was used as a garment literally for Adam and Chava. Let's talk about the serpent for a second. The serpent signifies, of course, death in the Jewish story. But the serpent is also a symbol, I'm sure we're all familiar with this, is a symbol of medicine. And that is derived from the story in the desert with the serpent wrapped around the staff, which heals the people from the spreading illness. So the serpent as well serves as a symbol of both life and death. And the reason for this is that the snake has a unique characteristic in that it sheds its skin. So on the one hand, it signifies death because it's all about lies. It's all about appearances. And think of the seductiveness of the serpent in the story. He says one thing. Of course, his goal is to defeat humanity. So he sheds his skin. But that very ability to shed skin is also a life-giving quality because he's constantly reborn. So that's why the serpent both signifies death, but it also signifies life and medicinal qualities because it's constantly being reborn. So here we have, again, the paradox of the skin, which both conceals and reveals and allows for life. So we have to have these ideas in mind when we talk about the garments of the priests, of the high priest in particular. There are eight garments that the priest has. The garments are the breastplate, the apron, the robe, the undercoat, the headdress, the girdle, the engraved plate with God's name on it, and the pants. So there are eight garments of the high priest. What's very notable here is that the Torah, when it introduces the garments, it introduces only the first six from the breastplate through the girdle. The engraved plate, known as the tzitz in Hebrew, the engraved plate was engraved with the name of God, said Kodesh Lashem, sanctified to God. And that plate was on the forehead of the high priest. But that is only mentioned after the Torah goes into all the details of how the first six garments are made. Instead of listing all eight together and then going through them and describing how they're made, the Torah lists six, describes how each of them are made, and then almost as an afterthought, informs us of an engraved plate with God's name on it. So what does this mean? If we take a moment and think, the idea that we have of the garments. Garments both reveal and conceal. What would they reveal? Let's start with that. Let's talk about how garments reveal. And let's go to our own garments. If I'm teaching my students, I generally dress in uh, dress pants, good shoes, a nice shirt, 
and it's Israel, so I don't generally wear a sport jacket. If I go out bike riding, you can find me in my biking shorts and my biking shirt and my helmet. When I go to sleep, you can find me in my pajamas. I have different levushim. I'm the same person, but I reveal myself in different ways according to the circumstances. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a teacher, I'm all sorts of things. And the garment that I don is how I choose to project myself into the world. There are layers of garments. For instance, my car is also a garment. I have a 15-year-old Toyota Corolla, like another 2 million Israelis. So what does that tell you about me? You could look at that and you can learn, well, he probably, I don't have a pink Porsche. What does that tell you? It tells you something about my socioeconomic position. It tells you that I probably prefer reliability over style. And that's what's important to me. So I can drive a 15-year-old car, even though there are nicer cars, but this it meets my needs. And that tells you something about me. You can come into my library and you can see what books are on the shelf. Those are all garments of mine. You can see the books and say which books I use more often and which are covered in dust and which are all frayed because I look at them all the time. And you could say, you know, the first thing, if I go into a friend's library, I sort of can size them up by what they have on the shelf. So these are all levushim. They're ways in which people conceal themselves and reveal themselves at the same time. When we apply these ideas to the vestments, to the levushim of the high priest, what do we see? The Torah describes vestments which cover his chest with the breastplate. And on the breastplate, we have the representations of the 12 tribes. And on his shoulders, we have the representations of the 12 tribes. And we have a robe, which is underneath that, which is all in blue, which is tchelet, like the sky. And then at the end, we have the seats, the engraved plate. So let's start with the engraved plate. If the engraved plate that says sanctify to God, and it's on the head of the high priest, on his forehead, that would indicate that the consciousness which he experiences is projected into that plate. That means his thoughts and his consciousness are sanctified to God. That is a very unitive state of being. And that is what is projected outward when someone looks at the high priest. They see that his mind and his consciousness is cleaving to God. That's Kodesh Lashem. In a sense, that could be understood as the ultimate goal of all religious experience is what the Hasidim called Dvekut, cleaving to God, a unitive consciousness. These are just words. Let me try to bring it down. There was a very good book, very quick read. I recommend it if you like mountain climbing and things like that, called Into Thin Air. It was about the 1996 climbing season in Everest, where there were terrible storms and many people were killed. So there was a journalist who went along with one of the parties, and he wrote about the experience. And he writes, I've been to the Himalayas. I've never been that high, but I've been at 5,000 meters, 5,500 meters. It's really hard to breathe. And every step that you take is a terrible ordeal. So... When you get above 7,000 meters, which I've never been, 
They call that the death zone. And every move you make involves excruciating pain. And I can only project from what it's like at 5,000 meters plus. And he's looking at these people that are struggling at 7,000 meters, 7,500 meters, 8,000 meters. And he's asking himself, why are they doing this? And his answer to himself was he could only think that they're looking for a moment's grace. In other words, the extreme physical effort where everything else dissolves around you and you're just in the moment, what you could call a peak experience, you lose consciousness of yourself as a separate being. You become part of the mountain, literally. I can say that from my own experience. So that's a sort of unitive experience where you lose consciousness of self. So if you think about that idea, and that's a very religious take on the physical expenditure of energy, that is the goal of religious activity. Now, how do we pursue that goal? So one might say, and there are traditions that emphasize this, meditative-like practices, where you train yourself through meditation to achieve some sort of unitive experience. The East has these techniques very well developed. What the Torah is saying then is that we cannot jump to that type of unitive experience, which is symbolized by the gold plate, which says sanctified to God. We cannot begin there. What we need to have before a person can readily experience unity with God, even if it's just for a moment, they must go through the process of the other vestments, of the other garments. Because what garments do is they also create a barrier between people. I'm dressed, you're dressed, we have clothes on, we're different people. For example, the Midrash says that the death of Aaron's children in Parshat Shmini, Nadava Avihu, die because they bring an offering of incense, which God did not command. So the sages talk about what was their crime. One of the opinions is that they weren't wearing the correct priestly garments. In other words, they were looking for some sort of unitive experience with God which came through their own initiative, which is deeply religious. And in a sense, they achieved that unity with God, but, but they were killed, right? So they lost themselves in the unity with God because they did not have the necessary barriers between themselves and God in order that they should survive. Particularly what the coat of blue symbolizes, it's the same blue that goes in the trelet of the tzitzit, there's one string of blue that we put into the tzitzit. And the blue there, as well as the blue coat, symbolizes fear of heaven, because the blue is like the sky. And the religious experience we have when we encounter the sky is not one of warmth, it's more one of awe. Think of looking up at the heavens, you don't get a feeling of warmth. When we talk about love of God, 
we talk about Ahavat Hashem. When we talk about fear of God, we talk about Yirat Shamayim, fear of heaven. You'll never find the term Ahavat Shamayim, love of heaven. You'll find the term love of God. But when you talk about heaven, it's fear of heaven. So the blue symbolizes fear. Fear in the sense that there's God and there's me, and we're not united. I stand before God. This is a fundamental premise of Western religion in general, which has its roots, of course, in ancient Israelite religion, where we stand before God. We are not united with God. That's why we worship God. God commands and we respond. So we stand before God. God is other. We're not united with him. So what the order of the priestly garments indicates is that before we can achieve the unitive experience, which is symbolized by the gold plate, which says sanctified to God on his head, before we can achieve that, we need to deeply attach ourselves to the idea that we are not God. And here is the paradox again, that the different garments in the case of the high priest are actually conveying contradictory ideas. The garments which have the blue coat are designed to conceal ourselves and protect ourselves from God because we need that protection because it could be overwhelming. Think of the reaction of the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, where God reveals himself and they run to Moses and they say, you speak to us lest we die and let God not speak to us. So the overwhelming experience of that type of revelation threatens the feeling of existence that we have. Think of if you're at the wedding of a child and your heart is overflowing with joy. So you can even feel like it might burst and you feel like it's too much. So amplify that many, many times. And you can try to see what it must have been like to experience God's presence at Har Sinai, the way the Torah tells the story. So we need garments to say, we're not going to be overwhelmed by this. God is other from us and we have to worship God in the details of those garments. That is fear of heaven. And the function of fear of heaven, fear of heaven serves a function. It's not a value in and of itself. It is a ladder that you go through the particular garments, the particular six garments described in the beginning of the parasha, which are symbolized by the coat and fear of heaven. And when you absorb that, then you can sort of graduate to the unit of experience. And this dance between the two different experiences is symbolized by the two different types of garments, the garments which conceal and the garments which reveal. Rabbi Hefter, thank you so much for that wonderful explaining and new meaning of why Jews have been such a significant part of the Shmutter trade um, <laughs> and, and obviously far predating that too. I wonder just if you could unpack a little bit more of this seeming paradox between this concealing and revealing, how in our ordinary and mundane lives we can bridge that barrier. That's a good question. I'm not sure it's a question of bridging a barrier, 
but it's existing in that dialectic. In other words, the, you go back and forth. You want to reveal yourself. People and God as well, from the way we understand God, have an inclination or an, it's more than an inclination. It's a, it's a deep desire to be revealed, to reveal ourselves, because we want to be understood. Everyone wants to be understood. But when we reveal ourselves too quickly, sometimes we're left with a hollow feeling because we might have only been thinking about ourselves and the environment wasn't appropriate. The person on the other side wasn't ready. You can scare them away. So even though we have a deep desire to reveal ourselves, we also need to restrain ourselves. In Kabbalistic terminology, that is the light of the Ein Sof prior to the Tzimtzum. We have God's infinite light. Let me just actually spell out my assumptions because I'm talking about people and I'm talking about God's infinite light. And what is he please. talking about? What? Please, please. Yeah. Okay. So please do, please do. Yeah. So a basic assumption of Kabbalistic theology is based on the passage in the book of Job, through my flesh, I will perceive God. Of course, since I can't really understand myself fully, and Freud brought this home, that we can't really understand ourselves fully. That's why we can't understand God fully. But there's a parallel, and it goes in both directions. We perceive God in a certain way because we're human beings. I forgot there was a Greek philosopher who said that the horses must imagine the gods as horses. We perceive God with human characteristics because we're human. Now, you could say, well, that's just imaginary. But as a matter of faith, we are created in the image of God. So it's justified to perceive God, the movements that happen with regards to God, as human movements. So I can talk about God's desire to create. I can use those words where, because I have a desire to create. God creates with eros also. That's olam chesed yibaneh, with unlimited love the world is created. So let's get back to this idea of covering and revealing. This is a human characteristic, but it's also a characteristic of God in God's creative process. I can understand that by looking into myself and how I relate to other people. I have a desire to be understood, but if I would always reveal myself, people would not be able to stand my presence. Think of not putting clothes on. So I must conceal myself in order to actually reveal myself. In the Kabbalistic context, when we talk about God, that is God's withdrawal during creation. Think of your relationship with your children. I don't know if you have adolescent children, but I have a bunch of them. They want space. Not quite yet. But... Right? Okay, so I'm, telling, I'm warning you about what's coming. They want space. You can be like the Yiddish mama all over them, right? because you love them so much but they're going to rebel against you. They're going to push you away because they need to develop themselves. That is the function of levushim, that levushim are this way of coming out and relating, but at the same time, preserving boundaries. That is the dance, not only that we have with God or that God has with us, it's also the dance that we have with each other. We want to be connected to other people, but in order to be connected to someone else, they have to, in your mind, be someone else. So you have to maintain boundaries in order to have a relationship. 
So that's the two-sided aspect of levushim, of garments. I wonder, and we've obviously used levushim, clothing, to explore this wonderful thinking around concealing and revealing. And you drew that wonderful parallel with Bereshit and God's clothing of Adam and Eve. I wonder, going one step further, if you're also saying that actually the material world is also a matter of concealing and revealing. When you make up a story, you spin a tale. You spin it because you're spinning thread and you fabricate. Fabricate, to tell a lie, comes from the word fabric and you spin a tale. Now that's English, but in Hebrew, bad, the letter bad is clothing, is material. A charlatan in Hebrew is called a badai. The same word is called someone who fabricates. I don't know many other languages, but it's true in Hebrew and it's true in English. And that indicates what you're talking about, that everything around us both reveals and conceals. Everything. My desk reveals and conceals. The look in my eyes reveal and conceal. Yes. And the world both reveals and conceals God. This is all as a matter of faith, of course. Rabbi Hefter, I never thought that we would go from getting dressed to such (laughs) incredible depths. And I'm sure you've transformed the way in which we will all get dressed going (laughs) forward. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing such wonderful insight. And we do look forward to welcoming you back again. Thank you very much, Simon. It was a real pleasure. Great, great to have you. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, do find out all about our exciting content that we have for you on our mothership, jewishquest.org. If you liked today's podcast, you can also find more wonderful essays from Rabbi Hefter and his online shirim too, which can be accessed at www.har-lel.org. We do very much look forward to seeing you again next week. 